Welcome to Composer Quest. I'm Charlie McCarran. I'm a composer here in Minneapolis. And I started this podcast to discover how other songwriters and composers think about their craft. For more information about the artists I interview, and to hear all the podcast episodes, visit ComposerQuest.com. This episode, I get to talk with theater sound designer and composer Kevin Springer. Kevin makes music that blurs the line between simply sounds and music. He explains how, because of his theater sound design background, texture is really the first thing he thinks about when composing. With theater sound design, most of the time you're not worrying about melodic content or anything. It's all about texture, and sometimes it's not even abstract at all. I mean, sometimes it's crickets and maybe the quality of those crickets. or You know, there can be a real art to that, to choosing those sounds and recording those sounds. Kevin is drawn to experimental electronic music, because every piece is a new adventure, and he never knows quite where it's going to end up. He explains how this has shaped his philosophy on composing. When you're composing, you never know what happy accidents might happen. The, the most important thing with creating music, I think, is to get started. You know, each time you start something new, you might not be quite sure what you're going to get. But that's why you have to just start and do it. Everything becomes more clear after you've had some experience. His music might not appeal to everyone, but that's okay. That's not really the point for Kevin. If people are looking for success, reassurance from other people or whatever, I think they're less likely to find it if they're really interested in what they're doing, if they're really interested in making music and creating something interesting and beautiful. They're far more likely to accomplish that rather than trying to just please people. So now, on to my talk with Kevin Springer. Welcome to Composer Quest, Kevin. Uh, Thanks. This is Kevin Springer. He's a sound designer, composer. What other titles would you give yourself? Um, I guess technician. I fill that role pretty often in theater. Sound design, technician, composition. Noise artists. Yeah, I guess sometimes uh, sound artist. I don't know. They're kind of all one and the same. Yeah, how does what you do in theater relate to your composing style? Well, it depends completely on the show, I'd say, because in theater, most of the time, you're operating off of a script. You know, there's somebody in charge. It's not you. That's the director. And I guess depending on your trust level with them, you'll have a little bit more creative freedom. And, you know, some directors, you'll have little to none. (laughs) Oh. You know, they'll want exactly what the script says they'll want. Maybe this is a sound design that only requires doorbells and telephone rings. And then... It's hard to get creative, but some designs use sound as a more integral part to the storytelling, and sometimes that's music, and sometimes that's you know highly composed sound effects. Earlier in the year, I had done a play that was a take-up on horror movies. It's called Slasher, and for that one, I was trying to play around with the genre, and so I was copying a lot of sound effects and uh, from Texas Chainsaw Massacre and stuff, and and then. You know, kind of contemporary slasher movies that always have those heavy hitting drum tracks. I don't know. Uh, like metal. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Style? Yeah. I don't yeah, almost like metal, like I don't know, like nine inch nails almost, something like that. So I kind of tried to do a little bit of that. How 
how did you go about composing for an entire play? Your biggest one lately was Summer and Smoke, the Tennessee Williams play. Yeah, at Theater in the Round. Yeah. Well, that was kind of the first piece that had more traditional music that I had composed. I'd had, I've done a couple other plays that had more experimental music. But Summer and Smoke takes place in 1915 or so. I kind of had uh, some ideas forming already that I wanted to be mostly guitar, some horns, and some other instruments. Well, I think one thing I learned is to stick with your gut because I remember the first time I played the bare guitar tracks just by themselves for the director. He, I think he was getting a little worried that there wasn't going to be much texture or much to it. He's like, this doesn't sound, <laughs> he said, this doesn't sound like the South to me. <laughs> uh, I said, well, I'm planning on layering some other instruments and some some slide guitar and stuff and so when I added all of that then uh, then he was happier and I you know I had thought you know I liked everything that I was coming up with but there's those times where you you can second guess yourself based on what people say it happened another time I did <laughs> composition for a play too uh, it was for leave which was a play based on the don't ask don't tell policy is about gay servicemen and I had written a bunch of music kind of based on America the Beautiful and Taps and these iconic American patriotic songs and I kind of twisted them. And the first time I, I had sent it to the director, he, he said, well, this is interesting, but I don't know if an audience is going to want to sit and listen, <laughs> listen to it. And, and at that point I was like, oh gosh, did I just spend all this time on something that's not going to work? That people, it's just too dissonant. It's too, too weird or something. Yeah. But um, yeah. you know, I mixed it and it ended up working out really well. So. Yeah. Well, so in, in I, theater, I feel like you have a little more room to yeah. do experimental stuff that the audience doesn't necessarily. They're not going there for enjoyment of the music. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Definitely not moods. necessarily. Are there any summer and smoke tracks you'd wanna? take a listen to or set uh, up sure what well, i don't know uh the main theme uh i guess it was kind of inspired by john fahey kind of his finger picking styles yeah i don't know quite where it came from <laughs> okay but i definitely came up with this guitar part first and then i layered over this slide guitar and then nick simon came in and recorded some great trombone parts Great improvising. <laughs> when I was writing all the tracks, I kind of made like three different styles. Then I made a bunch of themes based on those styles. One of them was that first piece, that main theme, and then one of them was based on that blues track. Like hard Time Killing Floor Blues. And then the third... The other theme was based on this old choral piece called When God Breathed Over Eden. It's like a wedding song, Anglican wedding song or something like that. And so some of the themes are based on that too. The theater space you're in played a little part in your mixing too, because theater in the round the speakers are literally around yeah. the seats how did you approach that 
this was pretty atmospheric music, so I thought maybe if I pulled some of the instruments to the different speaker areas, it would kind of give a cool effect. You're just trying to get a little more immersive sound coming from behind you and from the, the center of the stage. It's interesting because like that setting versus your other music, which is more of sound art. Seems like the best way to listen is on headphones, but what do you think about that? Yeah, I think the the best way to listen to anything is probably the way it was mixed. And I usually mix all the stuff I make on my computer and headphones, and that can come back to haunt you, especially if you're working on a theater show. You know, it's good to have a lot done in advance, especially when you have a show that where you don't have that many technical rehearsals, because the way it sounds on your headphones is not the way it's going to sound in the space. Maybe we could talk a little bit about your composing that you've been doing online. Maybe you could uh, describe this group that you've kind of joined up with. Yeah, the the group is called uh, Disquiet Junto. And Disquiet is a website and blog. And Mark Weidenbaum is the guy in charge. And he, you know, mostly is posting uh, clips of other musicians and stuff that he finds interesting. Uh, mostly ambient, experimental, sample-based music. And he just, uh, last year, so he started this project where he invited anybody to take part that they wanted. He would set forth a few rules, then anybody that wanted to could create the composition based on those rules. Everybody would upload them, they could listen to each other's. And uh, he did one every week for the whole year. And I probably took part in, I don't know, 15 of them, 20 of them maybe, I'm not quite sure. I learned a lot taking part in that. Yeah. What are some of the challenges you did? A lot of them were based on taking other samples and recomposing them somehow. For example, there was one where we had to choose two samples. There were two guitar samples. And two samples of bird calls. And we had to choose one of each and then combine them together and modify them however we wanted, using, I think, only those two samples to create a composition. I made one called Birdie. It was kind of a call and response between the bird calls and the blues guitar, and I really enjoyed the way that one turned out. the idea of this group because getting people interested in sound art pieces and yeah it seems like a totally different language that you're writing music in than than any sort of pop music or classical yeah i mean some of them have some pop elements but it, it ties pretty closely in with theater sound design because most of the time you're not worrying about melodic content or anything it's all about texture and more abstract ways of thinking about setting the mood. I guess sometimes it's not even abstract at all. I mean, sometimes it's crickets and, you know, that's telling you that it's nighttime, but maybe the quality of those crickets or, you know, there can be a real art to that, to choosing those sounds and recording those sounds. Yeah. The thing that I also like about your music and electronic music is how immediate all the sounds can sound. Mm. Like, it's like they're devoid of space if you want them to Mm. be. Yeah, they're just completely, it just has so much clarity. I don't know, it's 
kind of unnerving almost sometimes. It is, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember what you did for the living breathing track? I especially noticed with that one, like how immediate the first part sounds. It feels like it's right in your ear. Mm -hmm. Some sort of, I don't know, Little some bug. sort of bug <laughs> buzzing in your ear. Yeah. And then the tension of that kind of gets dulled mm -hmm. as the... Yeah. gets into softer, lower frequencies. I think if I remember, I had maybe three three layers of that fluttering sound, and then they kind of dropped off one by one until there wasn't any left. Hmm. Then you have these computery noises coming in. And I wanted a really dramatic arc in this one, so I worked Spent some time trying to doing this kind of build right here. I remember one participant uh, said this part reminded him of footsteps and walking into the distance. And, and Listening to some of your tracks from Disquiet Junto, um, I was feeling like a lot of the tension that's created is from like bare minimal elements of just like two frequencies clashing. And suddenly one falls away and yeah. it's peaceful. The track I was thinking of is your recovered track. Oh, okay. Oh. Maybe you could talk a little bit about yeah. how you did that one. So this one was, uh, the rules had to do with trying to recreate with sound what a kind of an abstract painting would look like. The piece of music that we had to sample from was a piece of classical music and we were supposed to take this piece and make it feel like those paintings made us feel. For that one I was working on one approach, I can't remember what it was now, but about I don't know, hour and a half into it my project crashed. <laughs> oh no. And I didn't I think I didn't like quite where it was heading so I opened up the file that had been recovered or what, whatever was left and I kind of stripped it back down and started over. I just sent that file going into a reverb with a really long delay and then I built up these different layers. There was nothing methodical about it. It was kind of like I chose these sec different sections of the piece of music that I thought were interesting and then it was just experimenting with how they all could go together or not. It was an interesting result. It was also kind of harsh and cold which, uh, you know, in one sense wasn't really what I was going for, but, you know, that's kind of the, what experimental music is all about, because you don't know what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the point of it. <laughs> when you're composing using recordings and you use Pro Tools a lot or Ableton mm -hmm. Live, mm -hmm. so you're in your computer composing, how do you think about composing? Yeah, well, it's definitely different than 
I guess traditional composing. I mean, people have always used tools to compose, you know, whether writing down bits of music and then writing and rewriting and then playing them. The way I do it, anyways, hands a lot of that responsibility off to the computer. Which definitely gives you a different kind of music. Yeah, I don't know, it's kind of a lot of based on instinct. I mean, there's not a lot of compositional rules that I follow that are set in stone or anything. A lot of them are maybe from techniques that I've heard other places. In one sense, it's very conceptual, but in the other sense, I don't think about it a lot when I'm actually making the things. It's a lot of trying something and then, you know, me immediately changing it. I don't usually come up with a concept and stick with it no matter what. <laughs> The result is, which I think is some, you know, some experimental music, like, you know, set this thing in motion and, you know, regardless of what it comes out, there's that Steve Reich piece, I think, where he just had a microphone swinging from the ceiling over a loudspeaker. So when it would swing over the top of the loudspeaker, it would feed back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's an interesting concept, but that's a different kind of experimental, I guess, than I do because um, constantly revising just changing things based on I don't know whatever impulse I have intuition it's kind of it's, this it's kind of the same when I'm doing sound reinforcement work you know you've got somebody on stage in a microphone and it's hard to say you know exactly why their voice may or may not sound good at any given point so when you're tweaking the EQ you know you're just kind of feeling it out and trusting your ears that's kind of what I try to do when I'm composing too hmm. I like that when you're recording and writing at the same time mm. You can tweak things like you would a, a painting almost, I think. Mm -hmm. I yeah, know. I mean, it's kind of using the whatever tools you're using to record as another instrument. You know, whatever medium you're recording to or whatever tools you're using that can influence the music, even if it's pop music or, you know, any kind of music is really influenced by the medium you're recording on and the instruments you're using. What's interesting to me is when you kind of make that more apparent and you use the recording medium, put out front what they do to the music. Yeah, like your cassette piece. Yeah, How that, do you... that was another uh, Gento one. The rules had to do with recording the sound of a tape player and trying to find the internal rhythm to that. I recorded the, the track onto the tape and then re-recorded it onto my computer just to get that analog cassette feel to it. Mm -hmm. I called the piece Cassette Artifice because the sounds when I was recording the tape, uh, they were just interesting because I was handling the cassette player and, you know, it kind of told a story like you could hear me pressing the play button and then about three-fourths of the way through I pressed the fast-forward button and you can hear the tape spinning faster. I like the idea of using mechanics to make music, too. Like, printers always, to me, sound really musical. Yeah. I recorded a printer at, like, a <laughs> wedding registry at Target. Okay. I've never heard one that sounded so musical. Have you made anything based on that yet? Not yet. <laughs> it's sitting somewhere on my computer, but... Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard those. Oh, I guess that Radiohead? Yeah, that Radiohead remix yeah. with the hard drives and the printer and stuff. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Pretty impressive. 
So when you're doing experimental music, do you think of the audience at all, either a general public or do you think of this disquiet group and how they react? Well, I don't know how much I consider it when I'm composing, but you know, it can either be disheartening or feel really great when you get a bunch of people <laughs> listening to your track. But uh, just generally, I try to please myself. Well, I think there's something good to that. If you can please yourself with your own music. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know. That's just kind of a general approach. I think if life approach, even if people are looking for success, reassurance from other people or whatever, then they're, I think they're less likely to find it. And if they're really interested in what they're doing, if they're really interested in making music and creating something interesting and beautiful, and I think they're far more likely to accomplish that rather than trying to just please people, other people. One thing I think about when I'm listening to your music too is how it's kind of reflective of randomness in nature. You don't know exactly what's going to happen, what the sounds are going to sound like. Just like in nature, a tree springs up here and a plant springs up wherever. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this, but... <laughs> no, I understand what you mean. Uh, the microphone's one of my favorite artists. That music's all... All those records were made on tape. The one interesting thing that he always did on those records was left a lot of the... I don't even want to say mistakes because I find them so interesting, but would layer a bunch of different takes of guitar playing the exact, you know, well, slightly different thing, maybe 20 takes of guitar or something like that. And, you know, you could hear the fingers scraping on the strings and sometimes you'd even hear the sounds of him sitting down or whatever, just little, little bits of that. And I found it really interesting and uh, I think it really can help set a mood. So I think a lot of my stuff kind of just deals with that in a larger sense. In the recording process for Summer and Smoke, I think a lot of it was kind of approached in the same way, trying a layer and, you know, not trying to perfect everything. I had recorded the original takes of the guitar at the Southern Theater in one of the spare offices. And occasionally I could hear in the background the general manager there talking to people in the other room. You know, eventually I layered so many things on there you could hardly hear it, but I'm pretty sure in one of the songs I could still hear a, a car driving by in the distance. Uh, at least to not focus on that, trying to get rid of all those, I don't know, so-called imperfections. Yeah, I feel like I've kind of gone on that path of trying to perfect my music down to every rhythm has to be correct. Mm. And the further you get into recording, it's like the more you're tempted to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think especially with the way the technology is tending nowadays, um, especially when you're creating music by yourself and and layering it, because it's not that push and pull process of a a band could be, mm-hmm. you know, pe- musicians, other musicians you're playing with. I guess sample based music and MIDI based music, then you know, there's always that metronome that you can use. It can be helpful, but keeping that too strictly can also be maddening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> frustrating mm-hmm. so you've been making music on your own for a while yeah um, what kind of advice do you have for people who are like me maybe cutting back on jobs <laughs> and 
going to be doing a lot of self-motivated composing and recording. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that I've <laughs> found success or anything, or at least not long term. But I would say uh, try everything, at least try most jobs once or most types of composition. I was trying to explain this to somebody the other day. I think my brother when we were driving up in the car. Um, when you're composing, you never know what happy accidents might happen. The, the most important thing with creating music, I think, is to get started and just to do it. Everything becomes more clear after you've had some experience. You try different methods and, you know, something works, something doesn't. And you kind of internalize that. And, you know, each time you start something new, you might not be quite sure what you're going to get. But that's why you have to just start and do it. When you're composing, does your composition process change with every project? Or how do you generally compose? If I don't start with an idea, I usually start with an instrument. For Summer and Smoke, it was mostly based on guitar. And when I used to write more songs, uh, then it was always usually guitar-based. Did you ever make recordings of your songs? Yeah, I have quite a few, actually. I made some tapes for some friends in college. It's a lot of um, kind of folky rhythm guitar stuff, a lot of finger picking. I play mostly in open tuning. Yeah, I don't know, a lot of the, I guess the lyrics are more reminiscent of maybe Bob Dylan or Neil Young or something like that, but of course not that good, <laughs> generally. I don't know, I always try to put a little bit of humor or irony into it, but still try to make them heartfelt. I wish you could sprout You can't stick your neck out Or to climb into my lips But I'm stumped by your whims Do you think you'll go back to writing songs? Yeah, I think I'd like to try a combination of the two. The more experimental stuff and then the more palatable guitar and, you know, possibly voice. And Yeah, it's good to do both, mm -hmm. I think. I don't know. My musical styles are kind of all over the map. Mm -hmm. And I do like doing the experimental stuff too, but it's also kind of like, I don't know, would people continue listening to this experimental stuff or yeah well not it's, that it really <laughs> yeah it's definitely not yeah it would be harder to <clears throat> be harder to sell fortunately for me a lot of the time it kind of lines up with the sound design stuff i do well thanks for being a part of this kevin yeah thank you yeah if people want to check out your music they can go to my website ktspringer.com i've got links to everything up there well thanks kevin yep that wraps up my talk with Kevin Springer. For more episodes, you can visit ComposerQuest.com. And if you've enjoyed this so far, please consider giving it a quick review in iTunes. I'll leave you with another piece from Kevin called To Pray My Prayers. He used indeed sometimes to pray for my conversion, but never had the satisfaction of believing that his prayers were heard. He used indeed sometimes sometimes to pray for my conversion, but never had the satisfaction of believing that his prayers were heard. Indeed, some pray for conversion, but never satisfaction. He sometimes had his prayers heard. My conversion had the satisfaction of believing heard prayers to pray my prayers 
to pray for some of my prayers, some of my prayers to pray, but never to pray to my satisfaction. Sometimes he heard my prayers. The satisfaction of believing, the satisfaction of prayers. Sometimes conversion had satisfaction. His prayers were heard, believing the satisfaction were indeed his. Sometimes prayers had satisfaction. Sometimes he had to pray for satisfaction. He used prayers. He used conversion. In believing he had my conversion. In believing he had satisfaction. Believing in satisfaction. Believing in conversion. Believing in prayers. Believing in believing. Believing in sometimes. Believing in times. Believing in time. Believing in time. Believing in time. Believing in deed. Believing in deed. Believing in he. Believing in her. Believing in some. Believing in my. Believing. Believing in my prayers. Believing that my prayers were heard. Never had the satisfaction of believing that my prayers were heard.